This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Good morning, everybody. I am Glenn Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I am Jamie Jennings, and I'm in Norman, Oklahoma. And uh, let's see, this is Horses in the Morning on Horse Radio Network. It's June 15th, episode 2954. Good morning, horse people. We talk about Hello? a lot of serious stuff on this show. Okay. And, uh, you know, we've, 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 we've had a lot of deaths in the horse world recently. We've talked about that. We've done tributes. What's one complaint we always get from people, or we've gotten in the past, not always, but we've gotten in the past, is we don't talk about horses early in the show. So we changed that, and we started doing a horse story early in the show. So we do all of this stuff, and the thing that stirs up the most emotions from any show we've done this year in the auditor room was your discussion on how often we wash sheets on Monday. Uh, Listen, I just slept, I I put new sheets on the bed and they were horrible, terrible sheets. And it turns out I slept like the sleep of angels for the next three nights. And uh, apparently I just need to actually change my sheets and I'll sleep better. Not, not buy new sheets. I just, as uncomfortable as they were, I slept really well. So apparently, it it, it became lit, uh, Team ja- Jamie against Team Glenn, and uh, Team Glenn was wash your sheets at least weekly or every two weeks. Team Jamie was never wash the sheets ever in your entire life. Apparently, that was not Team Jamie. <laughs> team Jamie's just not as anal as Team Glenn about making sure that every Saturday we have an appointment with the the washing machine. Well, I went through the 80 to 100 comments that were on that, and it seems to be, like everything else in the world right now, about 50-50. 50% wash their sheets on a regular basis, 50% are Team Jamie and are living in filth. I really so. felt – I don't live in filth. <laughs> I, I really felt it when the one person was like, I just sweep the dirt off of it before I get in. And I was like, yes, that you are my people. That, that makes me ask, how often do you sweep the floor? See, that's where I go next with that. Uh, it's a carpet glen (laughs) okay that's even worse it just goes right in it (laughs) it's even worse so yeah this was the thing that caused the most commotion and then conversations got started around it like do you wash your pets in the sink in the kitchen sink and all these other things why would you not wash your pet in the sink if it fits (laughs) i I admit we have done that especially cats where else are you going to watch the cat that you won't die so there's that yeah. So there we go. The serious topics that apparently people want to hear on this show. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so we're going to talk about horses today or something else, would you? Uh, it's up in the air. Right now, first we're <laughs> going to talk about cooking uh, with Pat, who is our favorite Italian, and she's going to do a recipe for somebody who's sick, like Whittle Glenn, which, by the way, I can't believe you're not coming to the movement, yeah, stupid well, COVID. Stupid COVID. I'm still testing positive, and I'm coughing up a storm, so nobody wants to sit beside me in a plane for five hours. So Wear a mask, whatever. <clears throat> yeah. I don't want to sit beside the guy in the plane coughing for five hours, nor does anybody living in the house with me want to hear it. Jennifer's ready to be away from me. I think she's happy she's going alone. To be yeah, but you know what? It's not a big loss. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> for Jen and I. <laughs> I agree. 
I'm glad you guys get to go. Yeah, yeah it's, it's going to be awesome. So, yeah, tomorrow we leave for the movement in California. We're going to go to Monty's Farm. Uh, flag is up and hang out and, and be at the movement and play with horses and inspire. And I don't think I've ever needed a trip to Monty's worse than I need one right now. So I'm really excited. I am bummed about two big things. One is I do love to let, hang out with listeners. We did a trip last year for five weeks just to do that, right? And then I, I wanted to see you do your thing because I really haven't seen you do your thing since you got certified. So that's going to have to wait till maybe later in the year when we come out. But we also have a Daily Dose Health segment. Seth Noble of Noble Ferrari is going to stop by. He hand makes all of his horseshoes. I don't think there's too many left in the country that do that anymore. And it was, it, I listened, Jennifer did this interview. I listened to it. It was really interesting. And you have to stay to the very end because there's kind of a surprise at the end. But yeah, we, we had a farrier once when, when I first met Jennifer, he handmade all the shoes when he would come out. Uh, but that's, that's becoming a lost art. I think my farrier, she makes the shoes if she needs to make the shoes, but if, if they're going to fit into ones that are made, then she puts those on. Yeah, so. I just you know, there's I think there's just a lot of farriers that you know don't make them at all anymore. You know, it's well, just kind it, of an art. If you want somebody like like who's going to be able to do that, you look for a certified journeyman farrier. And we actually interviewed my farrier on here a while ago. Her name is Mackenzie Lawson. So you can go to Horses in the Morning and search for that. And it's a chick who's certified journeyman, and they do competitions and like make shoes for competitions and special shoes. It's pretty cool. So I'm excited to hear this interview. We had the draft horses then and he used to make the draft horse shoes and that was a piece of steel <laughs> that <laughs> is 97 pounds yeah and it was uh, it was uh, it wasn't cheap either <laughs> to be honest all right let's do some daily winnies we got some birthdays We have some auditor birthdays. Nick Hayes, Mary Ellen Murphy, Misty Whitehouse, Robin Donahue, who had a big surgery the other day. We're thinking about you, Robin. Hope you're getting better every day. And Heather Lindroth, happy birthday to all of you. A whole bunch this time. I tried to go through the weekend so we wouldn't miss anybody. I hope I accomplished my goal. Well, I would like to give my daily Winnie out to the brand new adopter of True Grit, Christine in Oakland. John in Wayne Ocala. got a home. Oh, yeah. True Grit is going to Ocala, Glenn. Really? He's going to be neighbors with you. John so, Wayne's yes. coming to Ocala. Yes, I'm very excited. He was just, a, you know, and it's funny. Um, this is just a testament to how great Horse and Hound is. So the more I sat on him, the longer I sat on him, he just, you, you know, I mean, he's number 102, okay, of horses that I've restarted from Horse and Hound. And when I would sit on him, I just, like, his ears would be half back, not pinned, but kind of half back. And he never seemed to, like, super relax when I was riding him. And, uh, you know, usually the longer I ride them, the more settled they get. Well, he just, he got increasingly tense. Okay. And I just said to Nell, and there's this like, if you look at his back, it goes down. There's like a tiny little lump right over like his lumbar vertebrae, right before the sacrum, his lower back. And I was like, God, I've just had so many horses with kissing spine. I'm just 
you know what? I'm just, I can't, I can't. And I knew this girl was interested in him. I talked to her a million times and I just said, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I, I was like, no, I can't adopt him out with this potential issue. We need to take him into Oak Ridge equine and get his back x-rayed, which is a trip to the hospital. And she's like, okay, take him. Cause it's actually on the way up to her place. So I, I drive him up and I stop off at Oak Ridge. I unload him. The x-ray is back and he has no kissing spine. Hallelujah. No kissing spine. But that little lump that I, I felt and I saw, they saw it too. And turns out it's just some, uh, residual soft tissue damage from racing. And they said, get him an adjustment and give him some time off and he'll be fine. So I called Christine down in Ocala and I was like, did you need time off? She's like, I'm, I'm not going to restart him until at least the fall. So that's perfect. So the right horse went to the right owner and I'm really excited. And I'm just so grateful to horse and hound. You know, I could have just sent the horse down, but I didn't feel a hundred percent about it. And neither did horse and hound and they pay for those x-rays and I just cost them a lot of money. And uh, it turns out it's fine, but I can sleep better. And they can sleep better, and the new adopter can sleep better. So I just, I'm just, I just stuck on the to... fact that you went to the vet and nothing was wrong, right? <laughs> Still stuck. I on mean, that doesn't I'm happen sorry. too often. Is that a four year old racehorse <laughs> that doesn't have kissing spine? That's amazing. You know, no, just kidding. But like, I just, you know, there was just, you, you know, the diagnosis is NQR, just not quite right. Just not quite right, but I just wanted to make sure. And apparently, you know, like when you put the saddle and you're sitting, I was sitting right on that little lump. So, and, and he's very recently off the track. So he didn't get a whole couple months of downtime uh, because he was so sweet and willing and happy. And that's the thing is like when he was sweet and willing and happy on the ground and then I get on and he's not, then I'm like, oh, okay, something's going on. And it just progressively displayed itself. Um, and I did treat, uh, they also give me ulcer guards. So I did treat him for ulcers and you know, my, my, I use the same saddle and pad on every horse. So they tend to fit fairly well, you know, as far as they, they've, I've used, use the same one on all of my Wintech and, and, a eco gold pad and it seemed to be going fine. And it just, like I said, I'm just really grateful to horse and hound and Nelda to not question my intuition and Thank God there's no kissing spine. Yay! We're going to see how thankful the horse is. John Wayne is after he gets here to Florida in the summertime. <laughs> right? No, he's going to leave probably July 1st. <laughs> I mean, it sucks here too, but like it sucks worse. Than this, let's be <laughs> yeah, honest. Thousand percent humidity. Hey, a uh, couple of notes. You know, when you run a uh, network like ours with as many shows as we have, you have shows that come and go all the time. I have a couple of announcements. One is the Platcast is leaving the Horse Radio Network. They're still going to be around. They're run by the Plaid Horse Magazine. They're just taking it off on their own, going to do their own thing with it. So if you subscribe to the Plaid Horse on any player, it's just going to still be there. There won't be any change for you at all. If you listen to the Plaid Horse on the Horse Radio Network All Shows feed, yes, we have one of those, every episode of every show. Um, then it won't be there anymore, so you'll have to subscribe there. And uh, one leaves and one comes. We have Heather Wallace and Natalie Keller Reinhardt, who are authors, big authors in the horse world, and they wanted to start a show. And this has been one of the most requested shows I've 
that we've gotten. We've always had the request from 40, 50 year old women who are getting back into horses and, and, you know, all the struggles that go with that. And that's the kind of show that Heather and Natalie are going to do. They put out the first episode of Adulting with Horses, it's called. This is a not safe for work show because Jamie's hang- hung out with Heather and <laughs> we might have drank together. Yeah. Heather is not safe for work on a good day. So, um, <laughs> so this is an adult show meant for adult women. Does so it have like one of those ratings? It's going to, it's going to be rated as it's not rated family friendly in Apple. No, it's rated as adult. So, um, oh, wow. so, so yeah, if you want to take a listen to that, it's called adulting with horses. It's Love showing up on almost all the players. Now it's going to be in the all shows feed for horse radio network, and it'll be on our player at the end of the month update when we do the update at the end of the month. So if you listen on the horse radio network app, it will be there as well. But the first episode's out. These two are a lot of fun. I lo- I've known them for years and years and years, and I'm so happy that they're bringing the show out here on the horse radio network. So congratulations to those two for doing that. And that answers a need that a lot of our listeners have had. All right, let's go to our recipe of the month, which I am actually making tonight. Jennifer's picking up a couple of the ingredients on her way home from the barn, and I love this soup anyway, and I'm feeling like soup. Let me guess. She has to buy all the things that say fresh in front of it. Actually, no. This time I had the fresh fresh stuff. It's the canned... things I didn't have. So. Oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you. You're actually going to use some of the vegetables hey, in your pantry. I got to tell fridge. you, we're going to call Pat right now, but I have to tell you that out of my fancy backyard garden, I got two peppers and three green beans yesterday. Oh, wow. That's a big <laughs> haul. <laughs> I haven't had to buy peppers. We've been getting enough Did peppers. Did you say two green beans? Yeah, there were two green beans. <laughs> You're going to starve to death. <laughs> I'm not sure what to do with two green beans, to be honest. <laughs> Toss them in the soup. Yep, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm going to do. All right, let's call Pat. It's time to welcome our favorite Italian princess to the show. It is Pat <laughs> Rea. Hey, Pat. Hi, guys. How are you today? Well, you know, apparently I'm the only one who's doing all right because Glenn has COVID and you have COVID. I do. I'm telling you. Wow. This How has you... got to stop. Yeah, I agree. How are you feeling? <laughs> good. Oh. I'm feeling good. I'm just like sneezing all the time and, you know, that kind of nuisance stuff. But other than that, it's not laying me real low, so that's good. That's good. Well, you've got a, a um, recipe today that is the COVID fighter, and I would even it recommend is. quadrupling the number of uh, garlic cloves that you're going to put in <laughs> just to... to to push it on out. Well, we're going to do it's pasta e fagioli. Did I say that right? Pasta e fagioli. That's right. You did. Pasta fagioli. Um, because no matter what Dean Martin tells you, there is no zool in pasta, fazo- pasta fagioli. There is no pasta fazool. That doesn't exist. It's okay. pasta e fagioli, which literally means pasta and beans. Fagioli means beans. Okay, fantastic. Well, it's uh, reading the ingredients sounds delicious. So why don't you run through it with us? And uh, you know, wh- Glenn, where is this recipe available afterwards? Because I know I want to make it'll, it. It'll be on right in your show notes, right there on your player. Just scroll over, and it, we're going to put it right in the show notes, right there. So you'll have All it right. right on your phone. Perfect. All right, Pat. What is it? Okay. Well, here it is. This is um, a traditional Italian dish that's like poverty food 
You know what I mean? People uh, are having a rough time today. So what you what you do to beat inflation is you make this kind of thing and you make a lot of it and throw some of it in the freezer. It is a traditional Italian soup, I guess. You would call it a soup. So you're going to start with uh, some olive oil, about three teaspoons, I mean uh, tablespoons, and, and a chopped onion and a chopped carrot and a chops, and some chopped celery, a stalk. And that was, yeah, just one rib, a rib. Um, and two large cloves of garlic. You can put more garlic in there if it makes you happy. Just chop it all up. <laughs> stick it all. Stick all of that in a large pot in, in which you're heating the olive oil. You're going to saute it for a while. Um, and then what you're going to do is you're going to add uh, red pepper flakes. I have wild animals here. Pepper, red pepper <laughs> flakes. Sometimes chili flakes. Depends on how how much how hot you like it. We don't like it real, real hot, but um, we uh, we like it to have a little bit of taste. Yeah. And you're gonna you're gonna throw in some Italian seasoning, uh, you know, the typical Italian seasoning that you get in, um, you know, in a jar, right, or in a yep. container. Yep. Um, and then you're gonna sauté that for a while, just you know, to mix it all together. Now, here's the thing that you're gonna love, Jamie. Okay, you can use chicken stock. Six cups of chicken stock, chicken broth, right? Is that you get in the little container, the little uh, box, right? Or if you want to make it this, you want to make this a totally vegetarian dish, you use vegetable stock. Cool, I love it. Um, and that's six six cups of that. So you want to cover all this stuff uh, with it, and you want to bring it. Um, and you want to throw in some diced tomatoes. I use, you can use fresh tomatoes, but I generally use the um, the ones that come in a can that are mixed with garlic and parsley. You know, they're just like, a, it's a 15 ounce can. It's a little can. The, the, this, your store brand uh, uh, is probably your best bet. Okay. And uh, so you throw all that in the pot and you let it all cook for a while. Okay. You um, you bring it to a boil and then you 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 take it down to a strong simmer because you're going to put your pasta in. If this calls for what is um, generally called um, ditalini pasta. Those are those little tiny pastas. They have little holes in them, you know, but they're little tiny. They're short. I don't like those. I don't use them. But traditionally, that's what you put in a pasta fagioli dish. I use little shells, um, you know, the, the, the little tiny ones. And right. it just makes it for a nice, isn't toothsome uh, 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 taste in your mouth, mouthfeel, as opposed to the, the other pasta, which I don't care for very much. Anyway, you're going to get it into a strong simmer. You're going to throw in um, about a half a pound of those little shells. And you're going to cook them, you know. Keep them going. Keep it simmered until they're al dente. Al dente means, a lot of people are hearing this term a lot. Al dente means to the tooth, to taste. Dente, the tooth, right? So when something is al dente, you want it to be a little bit chewy. You don't want it mushy. You don't want it hard. You want it al dente. And so you cook your little uh, uh, noogles in the soup that you've made, right? Um, And the last thing that you add is a can of cannellini beans. Okay, it's a 15 ounce can, um, and those are those little white beans. They're mm-hmm. they're the kinds of beans that are traditionally used in pasta fagioli. 
I throw those in last because I don't want them to get mushy. And then you're going to throw in some parsley. And I would cook it just a little bit more. The you know the, you're going to drain the beans right before you put them in the in, in the pot. Um, and just, just let it cook a little bit so that everything gets the flavor. Just simmer it a little bit so you get the nice nice taste. And uh, and then you just add your salt and pepper to taste, and the pot keeps tasting it, keep tasting it. And when it's exactly the way you want it, the pasta is nice and, and, and al dente. The beans have that wonderful flavor, and they've contributed to the to the body of the soup. You're done. Perfect. It's perfect. I love now, this. I, I here's, well, Glenn, I have a question, yeah. because I cook at dinner every night. And yeah. what is the proper way to tell if the the pasta is al dente because what I do is I just keep picking them out and eating them. And then I'm like, Oh, they're too hard. Really? (laughs) That's that's it. it. No science. It's all you can do. I mean, what are you going to do? Because it's your teeth, right? It's, it's your teeth. It's telling you whether it's done or not done. Right. Or too done. It's your teethies, your toothies. (laughs) So there's no fancy (laughs) timer needed. It's just like, yeah, just get in there. Don't burn your tongue uh, and get in there. and Yeah. You know what? The boxes of pasta usually say 11 minutes, depending on the size of the pasta, you know, and all that. Forget it. It's hooey. Just taste it. (laughs) You know, the hard part, using gluten-free pasta is tough because it goes from being al dente to mush in about 10 seconds. Yeah, real quick. Yeah. Real quick. So what I do with stuff like this for for using gluten-free pasta is I'll make it and then I'll cook the pasta actually separately and I throw it in at the last minute because otherwise yeah. it's just going to be mush. I mean, Pat, there's just, no accounting you can for do taste. that too. Ignore him. That is ridiculous. <laughs> well, no, that you, but no, you can do that too. You have to because um, sometimes it, I'll even cook the pasta separate and throw it in the, in the, in the soup uh, later just so that it doesn't get overcooked or undercooked. Good call. Yeah. Now, the other thing is, um, you know, a lot of people pick an Olive Garden, but the, I learned to like pasta visual. Now, they use hamburger in theirs, um, but I like, uh. I, I like pasta visual. <laughs> I, learned to cook, I learned to like it there, and then I got their recipe, and I have made that several times. But again, that, that actually has different ingredients than yours does. So we're actually trying yours tonight. Jennifer's picking up Listen, the ingredients. So. Pat, ignore okay, so everything here's the he thing. says. Please, <laughs> so tell here's- me. Why the thing. No class. I have you. You have no class. I have a <laughs> girlfriend. <laughs> I have a girlfriend who makes pasta fagioli with ham. I'm sorry, that's bean soup. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Pasta fagioli, in, in in all in, in all due respect to the folks at the Olive Garden that are toiling in the kitchen <laughs> over hot pasta, hot uh-huh. boiling pasta, sure. pasta. Um, this is a meatless meal. Okay, so if you make it truly meatless, you're not going to use the chicken broth. You're going to use the vegetable broth. That's, you know, you want it to be totally meatless. This is what Italian people ate on Friday when the church had uh, no meat eating rule on the books. And this is what Italian people ate when they were poor. This is poverty food. The taste is phenomenal, like most Italian poverty food. The taste is phenomenal, but it's cheap, right? It's pasta and beans. Yeah, it's a little bit of vegetables. You can't yeah. get much cheaper than that. Yeah, right, Amen, sister. Well, I'm Amen. trying it tonight, so I'll see if it's better than Olive Garden's. That's going to be the test. Oh, I think you're going <laughs> to love it. And you know what? Here's the deal: 
Um, I when I make this, not it's not that it's terribly time consuming, but I have to give it to everybody. I have to give some to my uncle Jack, who is in his eighties, and nobody cooks the stuff for him anymore, and my girlfriend Gracie, uh, uh, who would never in a million years dream of doing this herself. So I always make a double or triple batch, and I throw what's left in the freezer, and it's nice. Um, to talk, be able to haul it out of the freezer, have a nice uh, uh, chunk of crust, crusty bread. You can even put cheese on this, grated cheese, you know, while you're eating it. Um, and it's fabulous. It's a fabulous staple to keep in the freezer. I have a question. When you put soup in the freezer, what kind of container do you put it in? I just use a regular plastic freezer container. Okay. It's never it's never in there that long, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Jennifer puts it in the baggies, and you know, in single you serving can do that size. Too. Yeah, that's what she. Yeah, does. you can. It'll take up. It, to be truthfully, to be truthful with you, um, the baggie is going to give you more room in the freezer. That's why she does it. It lays flat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I, like I said, it's not in there that long. Okay, then so. uh, my last question for you is to settle the argument that Glenn and I've had for years. <laughs> I think that microwaves are the devil because why is my food hot and the walls of the microwave are not like they're it's injecting cancer into your food. <laughs> All right, Pat, when you reheat this, do you put it on the stove or do you stick in the microwave? What do you do? I put it in a pot. Amen. And I cook it on the stove. You guys are I heat time wasters. And here's the reason. Here's the other reason, you know, it gives it a, a different taste. You have a different uh-huh. taste when you're when you're when you're thawing out uh, uh, and, and and heating it, reheating it in the pot. It just does. Plus, you're not gonna if you're reheating it, you're not gonna your pasta is not gonna commit suicide. You know <laughs> that I mean? is it's one problem with the microwave. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right about that. <laughs> you're oh right. Oh my god, fantastic! <laughs> you well, don't want to kill the ingredients. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people learn more about you and and see your books and see your poems and all the things? Oh, uh, you can go to Facebook. You can look at what Italians really eat. That's got a lot of the recipes on there, and also PD Rea poetry. They can read my poetry um, if that makes them happy. And uh, otherwise, I'm on Facebook. I'm everywhere. I'm real easy to find. All right. Fantastic. Pat Rea, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we love you. Or at least I love you. Glenn is I love oh, you too. So I do. I love oh, I know. Listen, feel better, Glenn. You too. Huh? <laughs> you too. And everybody else with COVID right, right now. <laughs> yeah, really, really. Bye, you guys. Bye, Have a Pat. fabulous day. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Have you ever tried gluten-free noodles? Yes, I bought them by accident. Ugh. I there's there are good ones and there are bad ones, but they're so hard to cook because they're either too chewy you can't eat them or they're mush. I mean, it, there's a fine line. It's it when I say this 30 seconds, it's about 30 seconds that it goes from one to the other. They're so tough to cook with. Anyway, uh this health segment today is brought to you by Daily Dose Equine, a non-GMO core nutrition for horses and ponies of all ages. Jennifer got to catch up with Seth Noble. He makes all of his own horseshoes, which is kind of interesting today. And there's an interesting twist at the end of the conversation, so hold on for that. It was one that uh, I was not expecting, so uh, listen to the very end. And I'd like to welcome Seth Noble from Noble Farriery 
to the show. <laughs> he he's a newbie here on our podcast, so he was silly enough to say, "Sure, I'll do an interview with you." <laughs> so, Seth, tell us where you are based out of. Our business is based out of Seattle, Washington. We serve all the surrounding communities, northwest, east, and south. So, uh, when when did you get into farriery? Was this an, a career that you started into early on? I went to a horse camp when I was little. My parents, for some reason, thought it'd be a good idea to send me, and it turned out to be my love. And I learned that being a cowboy wasn't going to pay me very well enough for a family. So I had watched some cowboys shoot their horses, and it looked really interesting and a great way to be around horses and make a living, which is what those were my goals at the time. So I went as soon as I learned that I could go to horseshoeing school. I found up right away and loved it and started my business at Ellensburg, met my wife there. We, she wanted to move to the big city, Seattle. And so we did. And it was a great thing for my business and for my education. Barrier like so many careers is a constant and continuing learning process. Is it not? It is a really interesting learning process because it, I mean, it's a classic and kind of corny analogy, but the onion layer thing is is absolutely true. And it keeps circling back to the same concepts and understanding them on deeper levels. And then because we shoot the same horse every four to six weeks, we get to see the effects of our educated guesses or peeling back the onion layers. Let's try this and see what happens because what I was doing over here wasn't producing a good result. It's an amazing thing that every six weeks, and I'm not even joking for the past 26 years, I, every six weeks I can see improvement and more depth of knowledge. And there's, and I see more patterns in the horses that I need to figure out. And it's a kind of a, an amazing thing to watch a pattern, get it figured out how to address it, what's the best way to treat it, and then another pattern will emerge that you realize was there all along, just didn't see it. Well, one of the reasons I hopped on over and contacted you to come on the show and talk a little bit was you have a particular emphasis on the blacksmithing aspect (laughs) of being a farrier, the blacksmithing aspect being the art and science of manipulating steel that goes on horses sh- or on horses feet or might be aluminum or even titanium these days what got you interested in developing that skill well i i noticed about 10 years into my business that i i wasn't 100% happy with the fit that i was getting on the shoes and the the nailing opportunities we call them but like where the nail holes lined up um, wasn't specific to that horse. So sometimes it was made me a little nervous or cause it was too close or it was too fine for a particular horse. So I knew if nailing it was, it would split the wall out basically uh, that kind of thing. I noticed a bunch of other things that I felt like I was compromising on by not making my own shoes. And so I also realized that the blacksmithing part is a traditional and old part of horseshoeing and and it allows us to be really versatile and really custom for each horse. And of course, 
I knew it was something that I needed to learn and master if I was really going to call myself a professional or any kind of master of horseshoeing. It was a an aspect that I needed to be really good at. So I started uh, making them and learning. I just dove in and I loved it. And it actually satisfied a big artistic need from, for me and my spirit. Um, and I loved the results being able to fit the heel where I wanted to fit it and put the clips where I thought they needed to be the nail holes as fine or coarse as I thought they needed to be for that particular horse at that time. And so it, over the past 12 years, I've gotten a lot better at it and faster and it, it just allows me to be so particular to every horse. I don't think it's a hundred percent necessary for all horses but it also allows me to not carry as much inventory in my van. I can go out every day to shoe with four pieces of steel, four bars of steel, because I work on four to five horses a day. And I, that's all I need because I can cover every size, every nail hole. That's an interesting point. You're right. You can right. take that can piece of steel a, and make it fit. Right. I can fit every horse. I make a bar shoe or make a, whatever needs to be made. So in that sense, it makes it very minimal and simplistic and, uh, and also specific and horses change a lot so that being able to fit like a low foot big and a, and a high foot smaller and that type of thing is, or or fit a medial wall with a fine nail line and a lateral wall with a coarse nail line has uh, has been really helpful to me. So you talk a lot about nails and fitting. Explain to me and us, for those of us who are not farriers, what you <laughs> why it makes a difference whether what a coarse or fine nail is and why it makes a difference. Well, ideally the nails have a very specific place that they will be driven and that will be just on or to the outside of the white line, which is a, the junction between the sole and the hoof wall. If you're looking at the bottom of a horse's foot and if you drive that nail too far in or inside the white line, you have a risk, a big chance of hitting sensitive structures, which is called quicking and that, the horses don't like that. If you drive the nail too far outside of the white line into the hoof wall, kind of like driving a nail through the edge of a piece of wood, it will split it out. And so the strongest place to drive a nail is right along to the outside edge of the white line. And because horses vary so much in their hoof wall thickness, it's not always easy to find a particular shoe that has all the dimensions that you would want that also has the nail line that allows you to drive the nails in the strongest safest part of that horse's hoof so by making them myself i can have whatever dimension or width of steel to i would like for that shoe and i can make the nails fit exactly into the strongest part of that horse's hoof. So it's just being able to really customize the fit, not just the fit 
in that the circumference of the shoe exactly matches the circumference of the hoof, but the fit in that the the attachment points, the nails, those are a precise fit as well. Well, that would make perfect sense because one of the most common issues that we all deal with as horse people, and the farriers have to deal with it especially, are those splitting hoof walls. So being able to get that nail exactly where it needs to be and reduce that splitting to its minimum. As a farrier, why would you say to the owner, I would like to make your horse's shoes by hand versus getting something that's uh, been pre-manufactured? Because they want to control the factors. The specific factors would be size and dimension and nail holes. Mm -hmm. That would be the reason. Like every horse to me is appropriate for that. Honestly, just because it it can be so custom to that horse at that time, that mm-hmm. they're they're all basically good cases to to make your own shoes. Do you carry different types of bar steel ones ones that are pre fullered, or is it always just plain flat steel? So you can pick and choose exactly what you want to do to every shoe. Both, um, I carry two different or like profiles right one is just a flat bar and i carry that in typically two dimensions seven eighths wide and one inch wide oh that's a big shoe <laughs> you must write yeah. you must work on big warm bloods am i guessing right yes i do yes <laughs> <laughs> and then i also carry concave steel which most fairs are familiar with which has the groove that runs down the center of the entire bar mm-hmm. and it's pre-made and it's got a beveled edge that goes to the inside of the shoe that is also pre-made and that is a steel that's manufactured in England and it makes a really nice um, traction shoe or all around shoe uh, for jumpers, eventers, trail horses, backyard horses, occasionally dressage horses. Um, So I use those two. I usually use um, three dimensions in concave steel three-quarter inch wide, seven-eighths inch wide, and one-inch wide to be able to fit all the different sizes of horses. All the different sizes that you work on. How long would it take you to make that set of shoes for that horse versus um, taking a pair of keg shoes out and forming them into, I'm going to use my air quotes here, the best fit you can get? So I'm just looking just flat out the time. I'm going to set aside the effect of quality of fit for a moment after 12 sure. years because a lot of a lot of farriers they they really struggle with um how much time do i have in my day i need to earn Absolutely. a living so i need to maximize the value of my time so compare those two is it is it a significant difference a smaller difference has it changed over the years it definitely has changed i've gotten a lot faster i mean if we're talking about just putting front shoes on a horse it, could probably do it in just over an hour if I had to make new shoes for that horse. Um, and keg shoes, that, I mean, I'm I'm a little slower than most guys anyway, but it would probably take me 45 minutes to do it with pre-made shoes. So it's not going to be a significant I, difference, yeah? Not a big difference, but if you put it over um, a horse that's shot all, on all four feet, it would be at least a half an hour difference. Mm-hmm. Well, and obviously, um, 
your clients and your horses appreciate it because the horse is going to go and perform at his best if he's got the absolute best fit he can have, right? You Absolutely. The, the riders notice that. And from personal experience, even at the le- lower level that I ride, a horse, when his shoes are fitted well or his and his feet are well-balanced, et cetera, et cetera, you can feel a difference in how that horse performs. So obviously they see that value. So we're going to circle back a little bit towards the beginning. When you went to farrier school, was there uh, any emphasis at all or any uh, classes that you took or courses that you took that were dealt with creating shoes from scratch or how much forge work did you get when you were in school? Yeah, I thought my school was pretty good as far as that went. We did forge every day and all the forges area was open 24-7. So I would often practice at night and on the weekend. And we were encouraged to. We could use as much steel as we wanted. So I did get a good start as far as that goes. Of course, when you get out into the real world, it's a, and you're under pressure and, you know, your client's paying you for the horse, it's a little different. Uh, but yes, uh, we had a lot of opportunity to learn and practice. It was it's interesting, though, because you get out into the real world and you learn that a lot of the stuff you were doing was wrong or backwards. or <laughs> <laughs> could be better. So yeah. You, yeah. yeah, but that's how it goes. The really interesting thing that we keep hitting on without knowing it, and that I have learned that over the course of these 12 years of making shoes is how important the trim is. And that is really kind of paradoxical to me to learn this, but as in learning and putting myself through the rigors of and the time and effort that it takes to make shoes for this long every day for every horse, I have come to realize how important trimming is. And that is where most of the mistakes are made. So it's really interesting that the blacksmithing aspect has taught me the trimming aspect. Throwing it down, Seth. Yeah, isn't it fascinating and worth talking about? Is and that so my business actually is based on how we trim. The fact that I make shoes, I think I do think it helps my horses, and I have horses competing at high levels. Like one of my clients was on the Olympic shortlist, and she is amazing. But so I I do think that they help, and I love being able to fit custom. But the way I trim has evolved so dramatically and so beneficially because of hand-making shoes. So it's an interesting paradox. Thank you very much, Seth, for spending a little time with me and taking a little bit of the mystery out of the art of blacksmithing as it applies to farriers in this day and age. For somebody who is curious about what you do, they want to speak with you about your work in the Northwest, learn a little bit about your business model where can they find you online uh, noblefarriery.com that's farriery there <laughs> you is, go which is the correct the term that's right right good for exactly. you exactly <laughs> yeah.
Daily Dose Equine offers a full line of handcrafted horse feeds to maximize the health and performance of horses and ponies of all ages. Each custom feed has been developed with whole grains and non-GMO ingredients to eliminate the risk of herbicide contamination. They are horse people themselves and have seen firsthand the difference that superior nutrition can have in our equine partners. We invite you to learn more about Daily Dose Equine's origin, their origin story, and find a formula that's perfect for your equine partner at dailydoseequine.com. Now, before we get to weird news today, um, I just wanted to let all the auditors know that there will be a post-show, and apparently Jamie has some drama. I know that's a surprise to everybody, but... uh... And it wasn't me. I didn't do it. (laughs) I was just a witness. Okay. (laughs) We'll talk about that in the post-show. Time to learn why some days you're embarrassed to be part of the human race in Jamie's Weird News. Well, this first story will make you proud to be a member of the human race, sort of. (laughs) So these are weird news stories that are submitted by our listeners because they say you read a news story and you're like, wow, that's really weird. Then you email that to me. Email the link to me, jamie at horseradionetwork.com and email me the link and uh, put weird news in the subject line. Now, I've got to clarify. Don't email me bad ads. Those go to Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com. Another J, different name. Uh, So first we're going to start out and we're going to go to Morogora, Tanzania. Well, okay. wait, that's a first. <laughs> yeah, we have never been to Tanzania for uh, weird news, but they are doing something really, really sort of cool. They are teaching animals to go into earthquake debris wearing tiny backpacks and they're carrying walkie talkies. What is the animal that is being trained to make its way through rubble and find survivors? Rats. Ginormous freaking rats. Okay. These are rats. And to be fair, they look fairly cute with their little outfits on. They are are a group of rats. (laughs) Please tell me they're like fluorescent orange outfits. They're yeah. They're now they now have seven. They're kind of like uh, these rats are huge, right? So they're like R-O-U-S-S, If you know what that is, uh, they're they're giant. They they look like um, it's like about the size of a football. They like got small Nerf football. It's huge, and it's got this red um, backpack thing and like a green harness. And the rodents go and basically like into the rubble and bring you a communication device and they try, they're going to travel to Turkey, which is apparently prone to earthquakes and work with the search and rescue team. Now that sounds amazing. What would you do if you were laying in the rubble? I was just thinking that. <laughs> when I see a giant rat coming to my face. It's like <laughs> You're like, I'm stuck in the rubble. And it's like, you're going to be like, oh my God, you know, you're going to smack it. You're going to hit it. You're going to hit it with a baseball. I don't know. You're going to figure out a way to get rid of the rat. Before I notice that it's wearing a backpack with a communication device, I'm going to freak out. Yeah, me too. Okay. I'm just thinking a corgi would be better, you know, a dog, you know, a cute little puppy. Something less 
I don't know, scary. Yes. <laughs> and and for those of you that have rats as pets, awesome. I have guinea pigs. They're way cuter. Train guinea pigs. Guinea pigs would be fine. Really yeah, that'd be they're a really hamster would be good, not a rat. <laughs> a rat, a giant rat. A squirrel. Well, like, How about a squirrel? Hey, <laughs> give me a call. Yeah, no, there you go. We're going to go to Colton, California. A woman is looking. Her name is Vicki Umoto, and she is looking for some furniture for her house. She was looking online at Craigslist, actually. She said, I scrolled down and saw free items, so I clicked on it. And the first thing I came up with this family that wanted to give away their sofa and an entire bedroom set. And she's like, that's got to be a scam. She called. Turns out a loved one had recently passed, and they were handing off all of the loved one's items. Okay. So she goes and she picks up two sofas and a chair and brought them home. And she's like, Oh my God, this is perfect. She said, I just moved in. I don't have anything in my house. I was so excited. We picked it up. We brought it home and she sits down. She's like, what's that? There's something in the cushion. So she pulls the cushions out and she unzips it and looks inside and she's like, I thought it was like a heating pad or something, but there was no electrical cord. So she unzips a full cushion, opens it and discovers several envelopes. She opens the envelope, $36,000 in cash (laughs) is in this sofa. So what do you can do? You, can you imagine? You she found said, I'm it. just telling my son, come, come, come. I was screaming. This is money. I need to call the guy. Yeah. Okay. That was my question. She, <laughs> this woman returned all of the money and the family told them that they had discovered other cash hidden through the rest of the house, but only a few hundred dollars. And this guy that passed away hid all this money and said, here, let me give you guys a little tip. If you are stashing money or items of value, you gotta let somebody know. Okay. Like my mom was like, I've been saving money and then I've got it hidden. And I was like, where is it? Cause uh, otherwise if you're, if you, we lose you. It's that generation that away. did this too. Really? Yeah. yeah. It's, we had a client when I worked in investments, we had a client and I was at her house several times. By the time we were done investing her money, it, which all came out of the walls of the house, cash, mm-hmm. it was hundreds of thousands of dollars that was oh in the walls God. of her house and the floor. She had it hid everywhere. Well, the problem with that, we finally convinced her, if your house burns down, yeah. you ain't got nothing. You know, so she finally did invest it all uh, and probably died a very, very rich woman. But she, she, uh, yeah, hundreds of thousands of dollars in the walls. Yeah. So they ended up saying that as a because she returned it. She was like, hey, this is your money. They also bought her a brand new refrigerator and gave her over $2,000. Good for them. All right. Well, that's a happy story all the way around. Right. Good for her. Good for them. (laughs) She got free furniture and a refrigerator. And a refrigerator and some cash. All right, two more. This one is in Trout Run, Pennsylvania, and this is definitely weird news. I'm just going to read the story to you because there's no way that I can retell this to have it make any sense because it doesn't make sense now. State police at... Montoursville, state police at Montoursville say they're looking for a suspect 
who stole from a residence in Lewis Township. The unknown suspect broke into an apartment on Truman Street sometime before May 20th when the victim discovered that her five-pound bag of Mrs. T's pierogies were missing. The bag is valued at $10, and the suspect also caused $10 of damage to drywall in the kitchen, and the police are looking for you. Give the woman back her pierogies, for God's sake. That's all I have to say about that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, where do we have to end, Glenn? Oh, we were going to be so good without Oklahoma and Florida today. (laughs) Today, we're going to end in Florida. I know it's weird. Okay, picture this. It's a warm June evening. It's at the Mineral Springs Motel in North Springs, Florida. And uh, there's a a maintenance man. His name is Ray's Shot. He's having a smoke break in the motel courtyard at midnight. And down, there's like a shell path that winds around through the courtyard. And uh, he sees a dog. And it, it's like it's like a, a dog that's on a long leash, and it's coming from under the bushes. What is what is Mister uh, Shot do? He does nothing. He just kept on smoking, except he decides to get up. He's like, "All right, I'm done. Get back to work." And he walks right down the path. Now we're concerned about the dog. Yeah, it was dark out, Ray. It's dark. It's not a dog. You're in Florida. What happens? He gets half of his leg bit out by the fact that it's a freaking alligator. An alligator is in the courtyard and he's like, just, I'm just going to have a smoke break and go back to work. Turns out it was too late when he realized it was a gator. It ripped a chunk of tissue off of his right leg. They ended up having to call a sergeant and he jumped in the middle on the back of that gator, folded him up, taped him into a ball. He's Florida people, man. They're bad. A like, what is happening? For we talked to Wendy. You weren't here. Wendy has a company that removes the alligators from her pond. Yeah, they show. And, and it's wonder how they show up. Your pond's not near anything else, you know, and, and yet the alligators still arrive somehow. It goes on to say that uh, there are 1.3 million gators in 67 counties of Florida, and. Uh, there are no quote less populated areas for alligators. It says here, everywhere a gator can live, a gator does live. There are that many gators. <laughs> uh, yeah, my old neighborhood. They would show up every once in a while, and it's like, does a bird drop them here? I mean, how do they get here? I know, right? <laughs> I mean, it was in the courtyard, so like it had to get into the courtyard. Think about that. Weird. <laughs> All right. That's it for today. Thank you, everybody. Oh, wait, 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 wait. wait. I, got it. I, I am so sorry. I did not tell you that these weird news stories, by the way, I had 10 million of them because it's two weeks worth. April, Cynthia, Laureen, Allison, Jenny, Aaron, Debbie, Nikki, JoLynn, Glenn, and I both found them. Danielle and Rochelle all sent me weird news stories. And I'm sorry if I forgot anybody else. Love you guys. Mean it. Thank you for contributing to this awesome segment. 
We appreciate it. And we'll be still here for an Auditor Post show in a few minutes. Uh, to, now, for the rest of the week, uh, we're dark tomorrow. And then we do have a replacement show, finally, for the third Thursday of the month, starting next month. We'll talk about that. So every Tuesday and Thursday, we'll have shows again. And also, Friday, we're going to have a best of for you because we were all supposed to be in California. And Glenn's uh, just going to be on the microphone coughing. I'm going to be yeah, just gonna be <laughs> by myself coughing. And then... And hopefully Monday we bring you some interviews from Flag is Up Farm on Monday's show. But that's it for this week. Thank you so much, everybody. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you. Listen, if I tell you nothing else, bring back the pierogies. Okay? (laughs) They just want their pierogies back. Spade, neuter, gallon, everybody. My quote of the day, the best preparation for tomorrow is doing your best today.